episode 104 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Pete D. Mayo. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back on the podcast and sitting in this chair right here. You know, Melissa pretended to be you last episode. I heard about this. You haven't listened yet? I have not listened you to it. Listen oh, to it. it was so good. Yeah, the bees were still dead. Yep. Mm. And Melissa's Nothing's here, changed. too, They're again. Melissa, you've you got to be yourself today. <laughs> Howdy-ho! There you go. You can't be Pete anymore. Darn it. Unless you guys want to experiment. I think all three of us should. We should just pretend to be different people. We should each be each other, like rotate. So I, Mala- I can't Melissa, do a British accent, so, uh, Pete or can. any accent. No, I have a horrible British accent. We, we did that whole episode where you were the um, fancy <laughs> pants. Yeah, he was Australian English. Yeah, I know, and I, I just phase shift between <laughs> English and different colonies. I do too. No, yeah. I don't even sound English anymore, so don't worry about it. So what are we doing today, guys? We're going to be talking about some game-changing tech trends that are impacting the hospitality industry right now in 2019. Say it isn't so. It is. And it's important because we're doing a top five trends for 2019 at the well, beginning six. of... Six. Yeah. Okay. How come the list is top five? Because I put the wrong number in the oh, title okay. and then I wrote the content and then <laughs> there's six. There's a bonus. Yeah. Five plus one. <laughs> we want to we under-promise, over-deliver okay. right? always. I love it. Yeah, I'll I'll will t- change the subject before we post it. But there are there are actually six. We added a six. So what was your point? Before I rudely interrupted. Oh, my my point was everybody's doing top X number lists for 2019 right now. So it's it's fitting that we cover this. Yeah, we could do a top X lists of lists. I think and we should. That that might be next episode. The top ten lists of lists for yeah. 2019. That would kind of be fun. Yeah, yeah. maybe we'll do that. Cool. Before we get into the top game-changing trends, tech trends for 2019, that's a lot of T's in that. Before we get into it, let's do the ruse. Can we go with that? You called it that earlier, Pete. I kind of like it. We drop in the news. It's still the news. It's just the ruse. But we're so familiar with it by now that it's just the ruse. Not R-U-S-E, but R-O-S. Yeah. Is that okay? Are we, are we good? We might audible. Does that mean that we don't have a jingle anymore? No, we still have the well, jingle. I think it's going to be like the, the top hotel marketing that I just choose. Now it's time for the ruse or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> that just made really that good, up on your Yeah, I did. I just made that up and it's horrible and we'll clean now that up for next Now you're stuck with one. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so. editing that out. That's great. <laughs> so, so do we have some ruse? We do. We have two ruse. The first one is actually both these are are written for you Stuart. the first one is disney is minimizing the marketing dollars toward the new star wars lands that are going to be opening up in both california and florida and the reason they're doing that is everybody already knows about them and everybody who's going to be visiting either the florida or the california attraction already knows when it's going to be opening up already knows everything about it and they're going to basically let word of mouth do the promotion and basically let the brand speak for itself, which is, these are the biggest single theme parks Disney has ever put in. So over 14 acres is the, the Florida location, only dedica- all dedicated to Star Wars. I, I'm just sitting here drooling right now. <laughs> I, I, anyone that's new to the show, just know that I'm sort of a Star Wars fan. Anyone that's listened to the show before would know I'm a big Star Wars fan in that we've actually done an episode dedicated to Star Wars quotes before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, Disney is genius in terms of how they market this brand. Uh, it, it's a brand that penetrates every corner of society, right? There, there's not many people that don't know what Star Wars is. And more than just having a familiarity with it, they know stuff about it, right? And, and most people would say have a positive kind of sentiment towards it as well. So... If you look at what they're doing with the movie right now, right? Episode 9 is coming out at the end of this year. And they're saying nothing about it. They haven't even mm. released a title yet. And yet every day, as someone that has RSS feeds dedicated to Star Wars, every day there's hundreds of articles being written speculating about just what the title of the movie mm-hmm. is going to be. And people saying, oh, they're going to release a trailer during the Super Bowl. Well, no, they didn't because everyone was writing articles about how they were going to, and now they're writing articles about how they didn't, right? So they're getting the exposure they need. They don't... With doing nothing. Doing nothing. Brilliant. It's really smart. I I love the 
the quote by Bob Eager, who's their CEO, said. Iger, yeah. Iger, sorry. It says, I'm thinking maybe I should just tweet its opening, and that will be enough. That's what he's suggesting the entire marketing And this is really, you know, a good economics experiment in terms of supply and demand, because there's going to be a finite amount they can increase the rate before there's a massive pushback, right? Disney's already very expensive. I mean, relative to a lot of other things you can do, Disney is already expensive. But we as a society kind of accept that. And every time they jack the rate a little bit, which they do every year because they can, there's a little bit of pushback. And yet millions of people still go. And when this thing opens, dude, there's a Star Wars specific resort where you, it, you pretend you're on a space station. There are no windows in this thing. Every window what? has been replaced with a screen that shows stars outside. So it makes you feel like you're actually in space oh while goodness. you're in it, right? And the whole experience is immersive where if you're staying on property and experiencing the park, there's a story, there's a narrative that goes through the whole thing where you're interacting and you can make choices that in, impact your experience. It is the most well thought out marketing ploy, which at the end of the day is going to help them sell the movie even more, you know, but they're making so much money from this. They don't need to spend a dollar. And if, if they, if they created more demand, they'd have to raise the rates even more because it's going to get stupidly crowded and then they're going to get more pushback. So it's already crazy expensive, already crazy demand. Just sit back and, and, you know, watch the money money roll in. It's, It's amazing. Exactly. There's not many brands can do that, but when you combine Disney and Star Wars, uh, yeah. So there, yeah, go, go. So if you're a small hotel and you're wanting to recreate this, just go borrow a few billion dollars and buy (laughs) Disney and Star Wars or buy Disney by which you would get Star uh, Star Wars because they own it and you're good to go. Good plan. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good lesson (laughs) in economics. I think, you know, creating supply and demand and, um, when, when something is exclusive like this, you don't necessarily need to, to advertise it. It's like restaurants that used to do the speakeasies and things like that, and word of mouth can can mm-hmm. spread and, and create demand that way. So, really cool. So, what else? What are, what's the next uh, article? The Rue says, I don't know what this article is about, but I'm going to read the headline. <laughs> it's from The Guardian, and it says, Hotel booking sites forced to end misleading sales tactics. Yeah, this is a... This is a big article. So, I don't have you. Do you want me to? It is a big article. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's like several t- thousand so pixels. In, in Melissa's defense, she's, yeah. she's been pretty sick this week. She came into the office for the first time. So, she's in this episode pretty much blind without having read the news of Ruse or the show notes. So, well, thank so, you for being here, Melissa. We I, very much I'm appreciate you rallying. I'm glad to have a warm body to add to this conversation. Hey, the well, show must go on. And we're in a small sealed room, so hopefully we're all not going to be sick this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so. so no more. Ep- <laughs> if we get what Melissa had, there's no episodes for the next month. No. I feel like she's we, been down and out for a while. Yeah. But no, so, so this article is really interesting. I've kind of renamed it to English people putting an end to one room only. English people putting an end to shenanigans. Yes. We like so, so basically the Competition and Markets Authority is putting the kibosh on hotel uh, hotel sites like booking expedia and hotels.com using a lot of the the tools that we are deceptive tactics they are some of them are very deceptive you know perfect example of stuff that they're looking at is when you go to TripAdvisor and you do a search for two rooms and all the properties say only two rooms left and then you change it to say actually i need three rooms and then miraculously there are only only three three rooms rooms left. left So they're really clamping down on this and forcing the OTAs to provide a more transparent experience to what the actual rate is, what the inventory is, and all of those little gotchas throughout that process. So it's going to make them less, I guess, uh, sleazy, less disingenuous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And these are tactics that are really good tactics, right? Yeah. We, we've talked on the show before a lot about nu- the, the concept of nudging people mm-hmm. through the funnel, through through you, the use of psychology tactics. By and that urgency is important. Urgency yeah. and, and fear of missing out and all that, that fun stuff. It's great. You should absolutely be doing it, but you should do it legitimately. You should not be artificially inflating the urgency. And, and Booking.com, although we talk a lot of positive things about them on the show, are notorious for a little bit of misleading. So one, they do it with the rates where they won't show the full rate, right? They're, they're taking out fees and taxes mm-hmm. and showing you 
a, a lower rate. That's going to go away. They have to show the inclusive rate with all the taxes and fees added in, which is great when it comes to rate parity now. Moving mm-hmm. forward, I think that's that levels the playing field. But if you go, and I, I think we've said this on the show before as well, but if you go and look at a, a high-demand location, which is seasonal, say Myrtle Beach, right, because we're here, we know this market well. In If you search for a Friday and Saturday night stay, in Myrtle Beach on any given weekend throughout the year, it doesn't matter when it is, it will come up with an urgency message at the top of the location page that says, it's like a little dial that says 93% occupied. Hurry before you miss out. This destination is in high demand. You better book mm-hmm. before you, it, it's all gone. Which, you know, during the summertime, n- no question that's the case. But we, we live here. We know that it's not 93% occupied in the middle of January when it's cold outside and yet there's not a weekend i've tested this on so many different weekends if i search on a thursday for the upcoming friday and saturday it will say it's 93 or 95 mm-hmm. percent occupied every single time that that's that's not legitimate that's, yeah, it, that's dishonest yeah, yeah i mean so if you, if you look what they're doing i mean in terms of urgency these are great tools to have if they are accurate you mm-hmm. know so knowing that there's only a couple of rooms left that's great information i mean for our own booking engine guest desk it has a tool where it says only two rooms left. That's programmatically built. So if there are only two rooms left, it will tell you that. That's helpful. Right. However, if you're faking it and you're saying only two rooms left and you have tons of inventory, then you're just being right. shady. And, and they're doing it on, on the urgency slash scarcity um, button, but they're also doing it on social proof. You mm-hmm. know, So making sure those numbers saying 27 people have booked this room in the last 24 hours or seven people are looking at this room right now. That has to be scrutinized. Now, it, it does raise a question. How is this going to be policed? Right. Who mm-hmm. knows? That Who, who's going to have access to the data to be able to verify that what they're saying is, in fact, legitimate? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one of the things that it says in this article is that the CMA is going to be going after the number of people who have looked at this room or are mm-hmm. booking this room. From the development side, that's going to be incredibly hard to build a tool that says how many people are looking at this room when everybody's booking dates are a little bit different. How are you going to say only 27 or 27 people are looking at this room right now? But oftentimes that's shown before you've even put your dates in. Yeah. But I, I I mean, I don't, I don't see that as the big challenge. I I think the the bigger challenge is, you know, the, the accountability side, Mm -hmm. because this is really an ethical question, right? Right. Is what you're doing right? by the consumer yeah. it's price and inventory if you if you're accurate on those two things i think the rest of it is yeah i'm all for using you know tactics like this to gain leverage again uh, uh, over the consumer to to persuade them not manipulate them but persuade them to do something that you know you want them to do that that's what sales is i, I get and that's what marketing is i get it but i think they've gone beyond persuasion and have crept salt so almost exclusively into manipulation and that to me is where they've crossed the wrong line so this is a good thing good good job brits well done my fellow countrymen Woo-hoo. yeah all right so should we jump into the tech trends that's what people tuned in for let's go into the five plus one the five plus one tech trends that are game changers in 2019 some of these we've talked about already in previous episodes but a couple of them we haven't, and, and we'll probably give a fresh perspective. With that said, let's kick off and get into the speculative number one. one, one, one well, one, first one. we have a stat of the week. Oh, yeah. It's related to number one, the stat of the it week. It is. Yeah. It's the stat of the week. Stat, stat of the week. week. Stat of the week. Stat of the week says 20% of all Google searches are voice searches, and Google predicts that this could reach 50% by 2021. And for those keeping track, that's only two years away. Yeah. That number, the 20%, has been floating around for like three years. And I tried to find an updated number. This is what Google gave out about three years ago. It, or maybe it was two-ish years, two and a half years ago. And uh, I haven't seen an updated stat. So I've got to think it's higher than that now. But mm-hmm. that's the stat that everyone uses is the 20%. But, look, Pete, you just said something earlier uh, about... We're in 2019. 2020 is just around the corner. Yeah, it's not the the future. 2021 is not yeah. that far, especially if you're talking early 2021. Mm-hmm. That's really very, very close. It's scary, though, for all these people who are prognosticating big changes by 2020 because 
you kind of have to put up or shut up now because it's 11 yeah. months away. You better be working on those initiatives right now. Right. Because we're in the future. Yes. We got flying cars and stuff. We don't, but I wish we did. It would be. I awesome. so wish we did. Yeah. It would have really helped me on my way to work. We this do morning. have autonomous cars, which is pretty cool. But. Yeah, I don't think we need flying cars. I no. kind of think that'd be just a nightmare. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> so the stat of the week leads into number one. Number which is one, what? voice search goes mainstream. Dun dun dun. So we we've been talking about voice search for a while, right? Not not as long as we've all been talking about mobile. And that just just so you know, we're getting it out of the way right now. Mobile is not one of our tech trends for 2019 because guess what? It's been the number one trend for the last 10 years on every list ever. And it's not mm-hmm. a trend anymore. It's it's the norm. And if you're not all over mobile, then you're so far behind that you're not going to learn anything from this episode. So turn it off and go figure out your mobile strategy. But voice is kind of one of those two where people have been talking about it for a couple of years, but no one's really given actionable, actionable information or no one really, I think, believes how far adoption is coming. So we, we got some data here from a, a bunch of different sources, but uh, but I think this kind of paints an interesting picture. So what's it the first does. one? So you might have to go to the show notes to see these graphs to, to really get the full um, experience, which is going to be at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 104. But what's the first graph here? The first one is when did you first start using voice search commands? And it groups it last six months, between six months and a year ago, between one to two years ago, between two and three years ago, or more than three years ago. All right. So you guys, I'm asking you as individuals, when, how long ago did you start using some kind of voice device? It's been at least five years. Yeah. What about you, Melissa? I am way behind on this one. I mean, like legitimately on a regular basis, probably a year ago. Yeah. And, and you're I, not alone. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So if you look at this graph, what it shows is the vast majority, almost, I think it's more if you accumulated all the others combined, the vast majority of people indicated it's within the last six months. Yeah. And and I think, you know, people like Pete and myself who tend to be early technology adopt, adopters have been using it for a while, right? And it's become really a part of my everyday life now. I get up in the morning and I use an Echo device to turn on TVs, lights, you name it, right? I've got a ton in my house it's become how I interact with my home now. And it's become becoming how I interact with my phone. It's mm-hmm. also, I've started experimenting with things like dictation on my computer as well, because that technology is getting better mm-hmm. as well. So that's crazy. But the, the I think the takeaway from this particular one is that the vast majority of people indicate they've only just started using voice in the last six months. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are indicating that. So we're really beginning to hit critical mass, I think. Here. My wife now, who is the opposite to me when it comes to technology, she is always a, a, a late adopter. She now uses voice for a lot of things, not just at home because I set it up, but also her phone as well. I have a car now that listens to me. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. My last car didn't even have Bluetooth or anything. It, it, it was older than the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really excited. <laughs> All right, so what's the next graph? Next one is looking at the percentage of smartphone users in each age segment who use voice. So 1824, 25 to 34, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is definitely much more even across. Yeah, so I think that's the takeaway, right? It's all in the 75-ish percentile, right? It Almost every age demographic, except for when you get really old, is is pretty much e- evenly distributed, right? So. Gen Zers and Gen Xs are equally using voice. There's no, and even Boomers are pretty close. The only ones that's a little lower was uh, was the Millennials, just because they like to be a little different. <laughs> but that could, they, they were so close that it was not really an anomaly. In every age gap, it's over seventy percent of people in each age gap is using voice search mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So it, it's universal. There's no question. All right. What's next? When are people using voice search? So we're looking at driving, watching TV, working, cooking, exercising, showering or using the bathroom. That's my favorite. Uh, with this friends and family. <laughs> people just lied. That's all. Because yeah. it should all be in the bathroom. Well, this is voice search. Keep in yeah. mind. So yeah. that would be very weird if oh, you well, hear someone maybe. talking. Oh, well, maybe. Who are you talking to in there, honey? <laughs> 
<laughs> but 53% of the people are using voice search when they're driving, which makes a lot of sense. Like your directions, yeah. local business lookups, things like that. And then do, well, I don't know what falls into quote unquote doing other activities because they've got a lot of activities mm -hmm. here. So, right. But that was a lot. But the point is people are using voice at a lot of different points during their day, doing a lot of other activities. And I think importantly, what it shows is while they're doing something else. You know, if you look right. at the top two, we're driving and watching TV. Right. So it, it's it, it's kind of a part of who we are now. It's something we do while we're living our lives, which is crazy. So next up is what are people searching for? I think this, this kind of makes a lot of sense. It's, it's what we all use anyway. Lists, managing calendars, sporting sport events, scores, things along those lines. Setting uh, timers, alarms. Yep. But also looking at local businesses. Local businesses. Yes. And I think what what it what's interesting about this graph is is if you look across all of them, it, it again, it's like that age breakdown. They're even. So what it tells me is if you're using voice search for something, if you're using it to set a timer or find out a sports score, you're also using it for searching local businesses. You know, what, what isn't listed on here, which I would love to, is making purchases. I think that's a lagger right now, but I think that'll mm -hmm. come. I think there's uncertainty there that's preventing it, but I think over the next few years, we're going to start seeing more and more people purchase. You know, Amazon certainly is making a big push towards yeah. that. Um, some of the simple... <clears throat> Um, food purchases like pizza is is doing that uber is doing that right i think as people become more comfortable with it we're going to see the adoption just like we have on mobile mm -hmm. it took a while for people to get over the concern and the fear of booking on mobile and now we've seen that mobile is yeah. the majority and i think you'll see that pretty soon here's kind of one of those 2020 stats uh this is from gartner but t by 2020 30 percent of internet browsing sessions are going to be done without a screen meaning it can it's only gonna be done by voice and the response can only be a voice based response yeah. so if, if that's the case people are going to need to start you know, got, breaking that barrier and say okay I'm going to book yeah or I'm gonna purchase this or get my pizza however yeah much I, you know I'm not convinced on that that being the direction it goes I, I think we're going towards a situation where voice is the input, but there still be a screen for an output, mm -hmm. right? And and I think you're beginning to see with you know, Google and Amazon both have screen-based smart speakers now. Right. Right? I've got an, an Echo Show in my house. Um, Facebook came out with an, an Echo-enabled version of, of a device, uh, but I also think there's everyone's got a screen in their pocket, right? In in terms of their smart. Phone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's going to be more interaction between whatever the voice device is in the, the, the screen. And we could debate what that becomes over time. But I really, I fundamentally believe that we're going towards a society that looks a lot like Star Trek The Next Generation. Meaning that a lot of conversational things are handled with our voice. But when we need to put input into things or make selections or see information visually... There's, a, there's an adaptive screen, right? And, and think about this, right? I think we're going to go away from a mouse and a keyboard. I think it's going to be an adaptive touch screen. Because when you look at your phone, look at the, the iPhone X, right, as an example. There, there are really no buttons on there other than the volume and the, and the power button. People say, well, there's a keyboard on there. Well, there is, but it's not a keyboard in the traditional tactile sense that, that a keyboard is that sits in front of your, your desk, right? It's... It's an adaptive screen. And if you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, that's every device they have is that. It's a mm -hmm. touch screen that changes context based on what you're doing at that time. I, I personally believe that's where we're going with our interaction with technology. It's, it's going to be a combination of some kind of touch screen device, whether that's physical or some kind of holographic projection, and voice. That's how we're going to interact with all, all computer and technology in the future. I don't understand why Jordy would use screens if he has the big screen on his eyes. Why wouldn't he just have that data available to him? I guess he does. He, he right. should hook it. Yeah, there's probably a lack of integration. Yeah. yeah, it was. He's got like a Mac. Uh, he's got a. Yeah, he's Google he's, Glass still. Yeah, he's running else. Google Glass. Yeah. Everything else is running Windows. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But voice is here, guys. It, I mean, it's it's here now. We're all using it and and 
I think we're going to increase the amount we're using it and how we're using it. We did a whole episode. I'll put the link in the show notes uh, based on what what you need to do to pr- be proactive related to voice search. Some tactical things you can do. So go check out that episode. Um, what number was that? What episode number was that? Um, oh, notes. you're so good about that. See, that's number 87. Yeah, number 87. So we'll link to that in the show notes and go check that out. That's the one thing I think every every hotel that's listening to us right now, every every person that's listening, that's the one thing. If there's a takeaway from this episode, go get ready for the voice because it's here today and, <laughs> and it's not going away. It's not a fad. It is a fundamental shift in how we interact with technology. So, so speaking of voice, should mm. we move on to number two? Let's do it because I was just going to be a seven-hour episode. All right. Demand increases for in-room voice-activated IoT devices. So have you guys been to any hotels yet that have some kind of voice device in the room? I have not. I have not. Yeah, there's, there's, I, I went to, it was, a, it was an Airbnb, it wasn't a hotel, but they had one. But there's a lot of hotels that are experimenting. You know, Aloft has a few, there's a few big brands. And I've talked to more and more independents that, that are trying it. Uh, Amazon has come out with some pretty interesting um, models and, and tools to make it mm-hmm. easier for you to have Echoes in your room, which I, which I think is important. But here's why I think in 2019 this is this is going to be a shift, and it really comes from what we just talked about, right? So think back several years ago when Wi-Fi was just coming out, right? And and we started getting Wi-Fi in our homes. What started happening in the hotel industry? Hotels started offering Wi-Fi. And it was a luxury, and it was something we may paid for, but it wasn't necessarily a prerequisite, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I said, ah, I'm only going to stay at hotels that have Wi-Fi. But as Wi-Fi became more penetrate, penetrated into our everyday lives and more of a utility that we expected, hotels had to adapt, right? They had to start offering the same utility, just like they offer electricity and water in when when we check in, we expect those things. Would you go to a hotel now if it didn't have Wi-Fi? No. Do you expect a hotel now to have Wi-Fi? Well, I think that's the thing is I I would probably go to a hotel without Wi-Fi. But you'd be- have because a fit I would, if you got there and it didn't have Right, because right? it's not even a question of if they have it or not. It's just right. they have Wi-Fi and I don't right. even... That's not in the They have running side. water. They have heat. Right. right. They have electricity. Color TV. Right. They have a color TV and they have Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So, so think about it this way. If what we just said in number one is true, meaning that our lives are going to shift towards a voice-first interaction with technology, and it's going to take a little while, right? But for some people, like myself, it, it's the norm now. I get up. Mm-hmm. I, I speak to Alexa every single day, multiple times a day now. I'm beginning to get to the point where I expect that in my hotel. Because I'm paying for a luxury when I go and stay in a hotel. Why would I have less, fewer amenities there than I do in my own home? See, I see it getting there eventually. I see that being a long way off because I, I expect the connectivity, but I'm not necessarily at the point, and I'm an early adopter, but I'm not necessarily at the point where I'm going to have an unpleasant experience if I can't you know, tell the lights to turn on, tell the lights to turn off. Right. And focus less on the voice, right? As, <clears throat> as well as think about other technology, internet of things that, that are important to you. Yeah. Right? Now I tell you what was incredibly important was last time I stayed at a Marriott, actually last couple of times, they have Netflix right. on their TV. That was going to be where I was going okay. next. Right. So I'm going, I'm staying my, my oldest son just turned 13 today. So we're going to stay Aww. at a hotel that, yeah, it makes me feel old. Right. Um, <laughs> And and by the way, sidetrack a little bit. He's a day older than he was yesterday, but if you talk to him, you'd think he just jumped like ten years in age. He thinks he's the man. But he wanted to go to an escape room tonight and have some buddies and stay at a hotel. So we're going mm-hmm. to a hotel theme. He wants to, the thirteen-year-old yeah. wants to stay in a hotel. Yeah. So, okay. But we're going to a hotel-themed escape room where you're trapped in a hotel that something bad's going to happen. Ooh, you've got to get out. Cool. And then we're going to go stay in a hotel with some buddies. Um, but this hotel doesn't have Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything. And right now, my wife and I are binge-watching Downton Abbey. Second time I've watched it through. It's a great show. Everyone should watch it. But she was like, man, I wish we could go and while the kids are messing around and playing Fortnite or whatever. I wish we could watch Downton Abbey. So 
I'm taking a TV stick from mm-hmm. the boys' playroom <clears throat> to the hotel so we can do that. How much more convenient would it be if they had it, right? That That's going to become more of an expectation. Yeah. Netflix, Amazon Prime, smart TVs, and you're beginning to see it more. So yeah. those kind of technologies, the internet of things, convenience things are going to become the norm, I think, in hotel rooms. And it's beginning to start. Like you said, Marriott's already doing Netflix. A lot of these other big chains are experimenting with certain things. Mm-hmm. Hilton's experimenting with personalized rooms where it remembers your your temperature, your preferred temperature from the last time you stayed and automatically setting it before you arrive. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we're heading towards. And it's happening now. This is not futuristic. This is what people are putting in the hotel rooms today. If you're a small hotel, spend the extra 50 bucks to get a smart TV that has Amazon Prime, you know? Don't worry about the logistics of that. Just you can you can have the housekeeper as a checklist on their daily routine. Log people out when someone mm-hmm. checks out. It's fine. You know, I've been in hotels where they don't even worry about that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. where you go, they have Netflix. People are still logged in from the person before, and you can totally mess up their, their viewing <laughs> history. But you might want to be careful. But that the expectation is coming. Yep. No question. All right, number three. More hotels will test on-property guest experience technology. Any thoughts on that? I don't think they should be testing so much as implementing. I mean, people expect these things. You know, if it's you know an app or whatever it might be, yes, testing and rolling it out, but you almost need a plan of, I'm going to start implementing some of these processes. Right. It's, it's funny, though, because... There's a spectrum of what that is, right? Guest yeah. experience technology. So you've got robots that greet you instead of a person. You look at some of these places in Japan that have a dinosaur at behind the front desk that can <laughs> check you in, right? You've got uh, robots that can carry your bags to your room. You've got robots that can deliver room, room service. service. Yep. You know, these, these are high-tech devices that if, if they deliver on their promise can offer unbelievable value, right? And, and and a lot of novelty that can lead to mm-hmm. PR and, you know, shareability, remarkability, all that, that fun stuff. I want a robot to deliver me food. It, it's fun. So I got to test last year at High Tech that there's a company that does it. I forget the, the, the name, but they, they lease these robots out. They're about two grand a month per robot, right? So it's, it's not cheap, but... It's carrying capacity is pretty limited. It can carry a meal, it can carry a toothbrush, stuff like that. But beyond that, it's not going to be able to carry a whole lot of payload. But it was really cool just watching how it worked, how it navigated, um, how it greeted the person when they opened the door. It offered the opportunity for them to take a photo with it, and the shareability yeah. of that was really cool. So it was kind of a marketing shtick. But you know, the problem is, does it go wrong? And how much of a pain is it mm. when it goes wrong? And there was an article, we'll link to this in the show notes as well, but there was an article recently about property in Japan or a group of properties that had gone all in on this concept of technology. And the, the article headline was basically, this property just had to lay off 50% of its staff because of automation. And, and you'd like, oh no, people are losing their jobs. But then when you read the article, what it's actually saying is, 50% of the new robots that they brought in <laughs> have now been discontinued because they were making things more difficult for the guests or for the employees, not better. And I think with this trend, that's the cautionary tale, right? The cautionary tale is don't get technology just because it's cool. Get it because it helps improve the guest experience. So Pete, to your point, things like mobile check-in, great. You know, we have an app that does that and it cuts down lines at the, at the um, front desk. It, it shortens the check-in time. A lot of our properties are in places where they still need to swipe a credit card or show an ID. Marriott's the same way. But it means that they can put in their license plate number. It means that they can fill in the people that are in the room and they don't have to sit mm-hmm. and stand there for 10 minutes and write out a bunch of stuff on a piece of paper. Yeah, I mean, robots, that's, that's great if you're trying to create a problem and then solve that problem. But there are already <laughs> so many existing problems in the hotel space that we should be focusing on first, like check-ins, 
like lines, like being able to let the front desk know that you need more toilet paper, whatever it might be. Right. There are technology solutions. And I think that's where people and hoteliers need to get to is don't worry about the robot that delivers the food or the dinosaur behind the front desk. Just find a way for someone to very easily say, I'm out of toilet paper. And then someone rushes it up to their room. And use your use technology to make that right. easier. Make the communication piece of that and yeah. the feedback piece of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of those areas is chatbots, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of buzz right now about communication, real-time communication between the, the guest or automated, you know, AI-based communication with the guest and answering simple questions. So I recently stayed at a property in Destin, Florida, and one of the guys that was staying with me, Uh, got a text after check-in saying, hey, I'm your automated assistant. I can help you with anything you want. Uh, So it put the the idea in the head that this is some kind of chatbot, right? So he, he's a bit of a smartass, and he said, "Um, can you tell me what color George Washington's white horse was, right? Just to see how it would Mm -hmm. handle it. And we had a wait. There was no automated response. It took 15 minutes before someone responded with like a, a quit, some kind of, pithy response which was clearly not a chatbot it was a, an actual person so they went back and forward and it identified that it was actually someone at the front desk so mm-hmm. to me they're implementing a technology there <clears throat> but setting themselves up for failure because they say this is an automated response you're expecting immediacy with that and then you have to wait 15 minutes in a real person a better way to present that technology would have been this is a text messaging communication tool where you can speak with a front desk agent. Please allow 15 minutes for a response. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. And then you, you're setting expectations. People use it knowing what it is. Yeah, I've seen, I've, I said a property about a week and a half ago in the same exact thing. In their case, it says, you know, hello, welcome to the name of the property. I'm Ivy, Ivy your virtual digital assistant. Text me anytime during your stay for Wi-Fi information, hotel information, anything. Right. <clears throat> I didn't use it, but other than just saying, yep, thank you very much. But then I did get the follow-up, how was your experience? And yeah. I think that's where it's really nice because it says text five if you enjoyed your stay. Hmm. And so I just say it was a great stay. Did that lead to them requesting a TripAdvisor review via email afterward? I don't know you know, if that connected those pieces together. But I think right. that's where it is very helpful. Yeah. I think the critical <clears> thing <throat> is when you're Im- implementing technology that's focused on the guest experience, you need to really test it full, fully from the guest perspective, right? Think about the entire guest journey, every interaction point that that guest has with you. And are you improving or creating hurdles in that guest journey? And I, I, I just don't think that hotels, when they're implementing this technology, always think about it from that guest perspective. And the other part of it is I don't think they train the staff well enough to manage the technology in a way that maximizes the value that it can provide as well. Mm-hmm. So I, it is a trend, no question. People are jumping into it. And for the most part, focus on the guest improvement or the guest experience improvement. There is also an argument to be made and we'll talk about this again in a minute, for the, the PR buzz that you can get from implementing some kind of new technology. Sure. So if you look at these Japanese hotels that went all in, they've got a lot written about them because of all the cool stuff they're doing, which can lead to exposure, which can lead to <coughs> demand, which you know puts heads in bed. So there is that argument, but I would say always be cautionary when it comes to implementing technology and really mm-hmm. think about what impact is this really having on the guest and am I doing it for the right reasons? All right, moving on to number four. AI powered MarTech and operation software makes us all smarter. True. So Pete, I saw you wince when the word, the portmanteau MarTech uh, came up. Just say it's this marketing technology. I'm okay <laughs> with that. Or it's AI based, whatever you want to say. But when you have AI and MarTech, you're just t- starting to take acronyms and all this crap and and toes, yeah. the, stop it yeah i i the, martech is one of those weird contractions that i don't really get like it because it, you're just being a little bit lazy in that yeah that case right i want to it's not like you're tech it's yeah not, it's not like you're being clever like with leisure right where you're taking mm-hmm. two different words and blending them together it's 
you're just concatenating something that is already a thing marketing yeah. technology so i put it in there because it humored me and i thought i'd get a rise out of you but martech so basically in operational software so so the tools that we use as hoteliers to go about our business right so that could be your crm system it could be your booking engine it could be your analytics platform it could be uh, your your rate management tools there's a lot of them out there that we're using AI is beginning to infiltrate every single one of them. We've got a list of a bunch of different as, uh, places that, that it's being used today already. We know and work with a lot of vendors. Fuel Travel ourselves are using AI now in some of our products, including our CRM product, and it's having phenomenal results. Like we're really at a point now in 2019 <clears throat> where computing power is, is at a point where AI is not just a dream anymore, but it's something that is really having a real impact on how we do our mm -hmm. business. And, and there's probably aspects of your life you don't even realize that AI is, is infused in. We've already talked about a few, like voice search, right? Google search results. There's a lot of things that you're doing already that have AI baked in. But all the tools you use over the next two, three years are gonna have some form of AI that's gonna augment your ability to do your job. I think if we focus on where it's gonna have the biggest impact, I think the two areas I look at are revenue and distribution, and then CRM. And, and CRM's really where we're focused as a marketing agency. CRM um, with AI is gonna allow us to really have one-to-one -one communication with our guests, which we've never, ever been able to have before. I'm excited about no, that. No, it's always been touted as, hey, this is going to get you there. But I think the problem that we've had with MarTech in the past is the barrier of implementation. So you would say, oh, we have this thing that will give you a true one-to-one -one email experience. Right. But I need to have these 30,000 fields completed. You need an omni-channel approach. The, yeah, they have, everything is... <laughs> You have to have the uh, database perfect, uh, and then maybe it will work. Right. But the way it is now when it's going more toward the machine learning AI approach is you put a little piece of code on each page of your site, and the AI truly starts to learn and communicate with guests in that fashion right. versus it being just I'm dumping in a ton of data and hoping, for the hoping best. that I didn't put someone's name in all caps so I can say – you know, dear Stuart, you know, <laughs> you're interested in visiting this dear property. Test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think now that the implementation has got to the level where just about any hotel can implement it. They find mm -hmm. a solution that works. Right. You can start. You, that's when it really becomes valuable. Right. So I, I'll give you a very simple example of how we're using it in a tangible way that's having a, a real impact. Right. So with our CRM solution, one of the, the machine learning pieces is it analyzes time that people open their email. And it can also analyze what channel they're opening it on. So if, if we want to send out a message on text, email, and say push notification, it can automatically determine for every individual which platform they prefer to receive the message and what time of day. <laughs> Right. And just those two little levers, pulling those in the right direction, knowing that Pete prefers to open his emails at 3 o'clock and Melissa prefers a text at 7 o'clock, and the system automatically detecting that and, and automatically deciding to do that on its own without me telling it it has to do that, that is going to improve the guest experience and increase my revenue because now my, my conversion rate goes up. So it's very simple. But we are also doing stuff that's way more complicated like automatic segmentation. So analyzing when people come to the site, what pages they're looking at, when they're opening emails, what they're clicking on, and, and letting the machine learning determine patterns within that that lead to booking and telling me that proactively that, hey, this group of people are exhibiting behavior that suggests that they're 90% likely to book in the next 24 hours, that is very, very valuable to me as a marketer, and I can leverage that in a way that I've never been able to do before. And and we look across analytics, we look across you know how big data becomes small with AI. We look at revenue optimization and how I can get infinitely more um, data points into my decision set to determine whether I'm increasing or decreasing rate and when I'm doing it, uh, where I'm distributing my rates. This AI is, is here and now and is really helping all these different aspects. And if you're not using tools that have AI, you're going to be left behind mm -hmm. because you're still operating on a, a paradigm that's 
you know, two, three years old. And because AI is making technology accelerate at an exponential rate, you're going to get further and further behind and be dug in such a, a deep hole, you're not going to be able to climb out of it because your competition is going to kick your ass if you're not leveraging AI at this point. And this is stuff that wasn't available even 12 months ago. Yeah. You know, it's crazy how quickly it's come. I think it goes to the point where now most hotels can actually start implementing it. And it ties into things beyond the hotel's database. It's your overall search browsing history. It's your social profile. And all that stuff leads to it that, you know, for the person who's taking advantage of, you know, an AI-based marketing approach, you're hitting them with a the perfect time to book. Your competition might be, you know, a week or two delayed or not there at all when you send that perfect email or text or whatever it might be saying, hey, you're ready to book your vacation right now. Right. And getting them at that perfect time, it's going to make it real hard for marketers who are not paying attention and up to speed. Right. And and they'll, you know, those people that are, are left behind are going to survive, but they're not going to maximize profit, right? Because even if you think, okay, I can adjust my rates in real time based on 10 extra degree dimensions of data that my competition doesn't look mm-hmm. at, think about how much smarter my decisions are in terms of, okay, I can, I can raise $10 ADR right now because the market is mm-hmm. going to demand it, you know, and people are going to have to wait and see that you did that and then react. And by that time you've already made a gazillion new bookings at the higher rate. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Yeah. I don't think people really realize how big a deal AI is in society in general and how, how much it's going to infiltrate everything we do. And we're really, you know, it's, it's, it's at the perfect time in terms of how computing technology is at a point that allows it, but also the, the science of AI has gotten to, the, the programming side has gotten to a point. At the same time, computing power has gotten to a point. It's kind of, we're meeting, mm-hmm. at a, it's a perfect uh, crescendo yeah, of opportunity. The, the, the customer doesn't care about AI. I mean, no, the marketer no. does. All the customer knows is, oh, look, I was thinking about going to Myrtle Beach and here's an yeah. email saying it, I should go. Oh, that's a great rate. Yeah, let's do it. Exactly. It's it's it's, it's, it's about, so seamless. It's all it didn't even, about convenience. Yeah, they don't even know, you know, they got attacked yeah. by AI. Right. <laughs> and and to be clear, we're not saying you as a hotel should go invest a ton of money directly in AI. You shouldn't no. have a AI director of AI on site, <laughs> right? And unless you're a Hilton or a Marriott, and then you probably should because you're building your own tech stack. But you should be talking to your vendors right now about what are they doing to leverage AI. You know, you're talking to your PMS, your 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 web team, your your marketing team, your if you're using any kind of third party rate management software, all these people, your CRM, all these people should be zeroed in on AI right now. You know, not at the expense of the fundamentals, but to supplement and augment what you're already doing. All right. Moving on to number five. Five five. VR and AR begins to show promise. Which is funny because I feel like we this was in our top whatever list of like two years ago. Right. And that, that's why I said it begins to show promise because it's been a trend <laughs> for a while, but no one's really executed on the potential. You know, it, it's been talked about, oh, okay, people will be able to go and put on some VR goggles and stand on the beach in front of the property and that'll make them buy. Right. That That was the kind of concept that was pitched and just that's that's not reality that's people average joe is not going to go strap on vr goggles because they don't have vr goggles right Uh, that's not how it's going to work but i think there's some niche areas where ar and vr can have an impact right one of them and and i've seen vendors in these spaces that i'll talk about that, that are actually startups that are trying to make a mark so one is in the group sales side right so think about this when you're selling a wedding or a conference or something like that, part of it is getting that person to uh, envision themselves there. Right. What better way to do that than to give them either an AR or VR experience that not only shows them how this room is going to be set out, right? Where the table. So if they're on property, you use an AR, hold up a screen like a tablet or something that shows. They're in an empty room, but on the screen it shows that same room with tables and people, but not just the setup. 
it's also customized to you specifically. So it's got your logo and your color scheme. So you're actually seeing what your event could potentially look like. That's a killer app right there for VR. I mean, Wayfair does a phenomenal job with it with their app where you can put a couch in your room. Yeah, and I think rooms to go also might do the same. IKEA thing. does it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like, okay, what? How would that look in my room? Well, you right. hold your phone up, and all of a sudden the couch is in the corner. Right. That's in really the cool. pr- proper aspect ratio and everything. It's it's crazy. Right. So that that's one opportunity. There's another that I've seen, and this is sort of um, virtual reality ish. You don't necessarily ha- necessarily have to put on virtual reality goggles. It, it can just be screen based, <clears throat> but. There was a company at the HSMI Digital um, Strategy Conference that I just came back to that has uh, a drone um, that you can co-pilot. So basically, they have a drone sitting there at the property that you can log into a system on their website, and you can take control of the drone, and you can fly it around and view the property, right? Kind of gimmicky, but it's also kind of cool. And they actually had a live demo, so we got to take control of this drone that was in a hotel in Brazil and see the pools and the, hmm. the, the location and stuff. Kind of cool. I don't think that's the kind of technology that's going to ever scale, but it is a kind of niche technology that I think if you were to, to adopt it today, you would get so much PR from it. Just like we were talking about earlier with some of the other in, in property technology. I think you get such a good uh, boost from a PR perspective that it might be worth being an early adopter on something like that. Hmm. And then the third one, the third area where I feel like there's a huge opportunity and I'm seeing startups is wayfinding. Mm-hmm. So if you're a big property, especially, um, you know, I just got back from the, the Marriott Marquis in New York and that, that thing has a bazillion rooms, bazillion levels. It was confusing trying to get around, knowing where things were, having some kind of augmented reality wayfinding to get to my room, to find out where the gym is, to find out where vending machines are, to find out where meeting space is would be really helpful. And, and we're beginning to see a lot of um, startups focusing on that that challenge right there as well. So those are why I think AR and VR might finally have an impact. I don't think it's going to be like mass impact, like all leisure travelers are going to be influenced by it. But I think in l- these little niche areas, it could add value to the hospitality experience. All right. Number six. This is one I'm kind of excited about. I think this is important more than some of these other things and that is internal infrastructure overhauls begin i I think it's 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 time it's time so i think it's fair to say that the hospitality industry isn't known for its technology innovation when it comes to infrastructure right you you look at the hiltons and the merits of the world they're, they're on these antiquated legacy systems that are donkey's years old that have grown organically over the last 20 30 years in our a beast to deal with it's tough to innovate it's tough to integrate and we did a tech study last year where we asked a bunch of vendors a bunch of hoteliers what were the biggest technology challenges facing the industry and overwhelmingly the number one challenge was a lack of integration and that is a direct result of these legacy systems hey which i, I think I, i'm or sorry i mentioned it i think in a podcast previously we were working with one property in their the PMS they had at the time, or in, and the booking engine associated with it, when you looked at the code, it had Y2K code in there <laughs> mm-hmm. to account for when the year 2000 hit. Yep. So that, that, that means it was not code that was built in 2000. No. It had been built way, way before, before that, that because because it had the Y2K. It already bug. had the fixes to account for Y2K. Yeah, we, we have 10 properties, 10 still, on our booking engine that are on a, a PMS. Like the most important software they have in their property is their PMS. We have 10 properties still on a PMS that is a pre-DOS operating system. So before Windows was an wow. operating system called DOS. Before DOS, there was this operating system called BOS, B-O-S. Okay, that's even before right. my time. This is a green screen application is this PMS. And we have 10 properties on our booking engine still using that system. That is insane. Yeah. But I get it. I mean, this is something, I mean, like you said, the PMS is like the, it's the heart of the hotel. So comprehending trying to overhaul a system like that and knowing the downfall if it goes wrong. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah, I get why we're in this. It's scary. But here's why I think we're, at the, we're, we're poised for this revolution, right? I, I think, one, the 
the opportunity is there now because there's uh, services like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Azure from Microsoft. There's a lot of cloud-based solutions out there that make it a lot easier to migrate your technology to and build um, at a more rapid rate with built-in security, things like that, right? That that exists today that didn't really exist in a meaningful way a few years ago. More importantly, I think there's a lot of pressure on the infrastructure from a security standpoint. You know, there's new regulations related to things like PCI. There's all these hacks and, and stuff like that. Look at, you know, uh, Starwood just came out a couple of weeks ago that there was a big hack there because of legacy mm. systems. You've got compliance related to accessibility, You've got um, privacy concerns, you know, with GDPR and stuff like that, and how you handle personal data. So there's a lot of legislative stuff that's forcing, especially the big guys, to invest a lot of money on infrastructural changes right now. So if they're going to invest the money anyway, why not do it the right way and solve a lot of their problems? They solve the integration problems, solve the scalability problems. Solve the security problems, the compliance problems, all in one foul swoop by shifting technology mm-hmm. stacks to the cloud. So that, to me, is the biggest reason why that's why that's where people are he- heading. You look at um, a- a- Amazon Web Services as an example, um, have snapped up Choice Hotels in the last six months or so, Expedia last year as well, and a lot of smaller properties mm-hmm. are all shifting towards the cloud. And I think we're going to see that trend accelerate over the next 12 months. All right. Completely agree with that. Yeah. We've got a sneak peek at 2020. So the 2019 trends were not enough? Apparently not. Do we want to blow people's mind? I think we've already blown their mind a little bit with some bum, of this bum, stuff. Bum. So what are some? What are a couple? We'll just touch on them briefly because we're running out of time. But yes. So number one is 5G will deliver stupid fast connectivity. It will. Stupid, Stupid fast. fast. So 5G is coming out this year. I don't think it'll have a meaningful impact because it doesn't sound like Apple's going to support until next year. But 5G is like a thousand times faster than 4G. So it, It's the equivalent of dial-up to high speed. Right. And then high speed to 5G. So, so this is going to be a big deal because I think it, it changes how we connect. So thinking about when you're at a hotel and, and Wi-Fi is the means you connect to the internet because you don't want to use the data. When 5G's here, that's less of a, a, a challenge. Well, 5G is going to kill the high-speed internet. Yeah, you, it's, it's cable, provi- phone cable providers going, yeah. are not going to need to provide you internet because 5G is going to replace that need. Yeah. They're going to have the bandwidth and, and it's going to be cost-effective for you just to have some kind of virtual provider. You're not going to yeah. le- need a physical pipe into your facility or to your mm-hmm. home anymore which which opens up all kinds of possibilities and that's coming end of this year beginning of next year so that's going to be huge what's the other one quantum computing may break everything this scares me it really does and and i think we could probably do a whole episode on quantum computing but i don't think we we or the audience would really fully understand it i have a physics degree and i still struggle with quantum computing but the <laughs> the the jump from what we're doing now with, with binary computing, where things are ones and zeros, to this uh, quantum-based computing, which exists today. There, there are computers out there that, that are running at IBM and Microsoft and places like that. Not, not on a mass scale, but they're going to solve the problems that are preventing that. But the, the, the jump in the amount of computing capability is going to change everything. It's going to change Everything that we think is secure now through encryption is going to get broken overnight when quantum computing is a reality. The amount of computing power to do things that we can't even begin to imagine, like supercomputers that do things like weather prediction now are going to look like babies compared to some of this computing stuff that's coming. And it's coming now. It's coming 2020. It's going to be insane. Insane. Mark it down. In 2021, we're going to say, wait a minute. Everything's Where, where's, where's my quantum computing no, AI it's robot? Gonna it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Are so, we... guys, we got through a whole technology <coughs> trends episode, and we didn't mention blockchain one time. How about that? Blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. There. There you go. I got it in. Pete. Yes. They want to learn more about you. Where can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, I just say just Google me. You'll probably learn some stuff. But if you want to learn more, you can follow me on Twitter at P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And Melissa. 
You can find me on Twitter at M.A. Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H, where you will find today that I tweeted at Dunkin' Donuts asking about freezing donuts. What was the answer? They haven't tweeted back at me. What was your question about freezing donuts? I want to know what their thoughts are on freezing their donuts because it's February and it's brownie batter cookie uh, donut month and it's only available in February. So I want to know if I can stockpile and freeze some. Hmm. All right, well, you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. You can find the notes to this episode at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 104. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Check it high, check it low. Check it anywhere my voice will go.